Paul bends over the small craft brewery. The biggest brewery in Michigan falls. The king is dead. All hail the king. For the people that love to play with their labels, we got pocket pussies and strap-ons. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, the podcast of record for all the craft beer news, beverage industry updates, and the Dadaist art movement. <clears throat> I have fermented this beer from the tears of a dying wildebeest. The grain comes from a farmer in Siberia who screams profanity at the soil. Hops are molten. It signifies nothing. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. Don't look at me loud. Sometimes I do a headline to amuse you. Sometimes I do one to amuse me. <laughs> I was going to say, eh, not super impressed, but I've had a day today, so... I was going to say, uh, you could... <laughs> Tyler walked into this room as he's basically he's kind of a walking shell of a human anyway, but more so than normal. Tyler, what what advice after today do you have for uh, uh, for our audience? Sometimes in the beer industry, most days are fun, good. Sometimes you just can't catch a break and it's just little things that just piss you off all day that just add up and you're just like, fuck it. Why am I even in this industry? <laughs> I mean, I could put up with this in any industry and get paid a lot more, and <laughs> not just in beer. Yeah. Um, but no, all in all, not a terrible day. It's just trying to juggle like six different things at once. That just And then as you're like, okay, I got this down, something changes, and you're like, never mind. I got this down now. Well... Uh, I'm here for you. I just want you to know, let you know I'm here for you. Well, with I'm glad you brought two high alcohol beers. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the funny thing was is I so I was looking for a couple of beers to bring to the podcast tonight. I picked a uh, nice Chouf. Um, it's a Belgian uh, Belgian quad uh, for the holidays. A Belgian dark beer brewed with spices. Parentheses orange peel and thyme. That's on the label. I don't speak by saying uh, parentheses. Yeah. You um, do. Quotation. <laughs> no, quotation. Because Sam Adams is a craft beer, or cra- a craft beer business. Um, <laughs> that's different. It's not parentheses. That's quotations. And not my notes. That's craftbeerbusiness.com. <laughs> I'm just refusing to correct them or anything else. You're like, I'm leaning into it. <laughs> I'm just, listen, I don't not disagree with them. <laughs> and also, if it sounds like we're a little quieter. There is a sick sleeping baby in the next room, so we are a little quieter Declan's today. got his first cold, and it's adorable in a very unpleasant <laughs> way. <laughs> He's basically... It was, it's what would happen if you tear-gassed an infant. There's there's stuff leaking out of every hole in his face, and he's unhappy about it, as we are all. So if we're a little bit, like, subdued today, um, that's there's a couple of reasons why. Tyler's exhausted, the baby is pissed off, and I'm actually, to be quite honest, about half in the bag. Um <laughs> So what, let's talk about this so one. Strap this, that, on in, guys. <laughs> like, if you're expecting the best of It's All Beer this week, eh. Ironically, it might be. <laughs> uh, the, we're starting off with the nice tube, and it's, you know, it's just a beautifully, it's just a, it's just a perfect Belgian beer. It's everything it should be. It's got this, I mean, it's nice amber color, mm-hmm. rich caramel malts, hugely complex. I get molasses, date, um, a little bit of like... Uh, treacle um the spices are in the background i get the orange peel and the thyme i get a little of the orange peel but i'm not picking much of the thyme up thyme is you could say they're out of time well this has been it's all beer <laughs> and this the at the end of this oh. um i you know i feel like the thyme kind of rides on the hops in the back mm-hmm. like 
right at the end, you get that citrusy burst, and you get like the like that sweetness on the hop bitterness, and I feel like that's the time. Okay. Now that's completely me going by the label because if it wasn't written on the label, I would never mm. picked out time in this beer, and that's appropriate for a Belgian beer. I feel because you shouldn't be able to pick out everything and the spices. They should be just like layering complexity on top of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's got such a smooth finish. I don't know if you handed this to me and I drank it without looking at the label, if I would guess that it was a 10% beer. I mean, I can feel 10%. I mean, I've, I, it, it's got a burn in the stomach. I can feel it when it, you know, when it hits... Oh, no. Nope. I mean, maybe that's just your body going, I need this right now. <laughs> it's like, shove it down. My, my you know, I, Again, I'm already like three beers into the day, so my body's going, oh, God, it's going to be one of those days. All right, let's just make it burn a little bit so maybe he holds off and doesn't end up face first on the carpet again by the end of the night. But, I mean, also, I like the big, boozier beers that actually have that real alcohol burn to it. I'm finding um, as I get older, it's probably, or at least not so much in my beer in my beer picks as far as like buying a beer to drink, but in how I brew beer, I definitely have a much bigger appreciation for the three to five percent alcohol range than oh. I ever had when I started because I never brewed anything under like seven percent. Mm-hmm. You know, a seven percent was a session uh, beer as far as I'm concerned when I started. Most of the beer I buy, unless I'm doing this big bold double or triple IPA or a barrel-aged beer. I'm like, I want the 5% Pilsner, Lager, Hellas. Like, let's go with one of those. <laughs> just a little bit above average. Just mm-hmm. just hit the, just get a little bit on my boo-boo a little bit faster. Um, and uh, and I, I feel like that kind of how the, how the industry ran too. Because um, there's a few beers under like 5%, but there's not a much. But, uh, no. uh, but speaking of uh, uh, all the craft beer news, uh, Tyler, do you want to uh, start us off today? So, uh Actually, we kind of hinted at some of the supply chain issues last week on this ep- or last episode. I uh-uh. forgot we had last week off for the holiday. Uh, you no, know, last week is fine for all imprints. Listen, uh, Thanksgiving is a weird black hole where uh, you have Thursday off, so it's like a perpetual Sunday the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you don't know where you are. You don't have pants. <laughs> You're about twenty pounds heavier. So yeah, it is a bit of the twilight zone, but so but yes, two weeks ago we did sus- uh, discuss the uh, supply chain issues, and, and then- right after that episode, w- beer Twitter blew up because Ball came out, um, which is one of the two major can producing companies in the United States, uh, that they were upping their minimum order in an attempt to streamline their customer base. Um, just to, just to, uh, um, I think we're gonna go over a lot of uh, like the intricacies of the su- supply chain um, um, uh, issues. Like next week, we've got uh, somebody coming on uh, locally who can speak to a lot of this. But just for the, we'll get a little bit more granular. But just for the sake of argument, can you kind of do you, you're you, you've done this enough? Uh, describe sort of kind of how it normally works with cans. So best way to kind of let's. Build from the bottom up. There are three different types of cans. Really, not counting three different types of twelve ounce cans that breweries use to get out to 
customers. Right. You have your blank nude can that is just straight silver that they get. Sexy. Uh, that they put a label on and then fill, send out. You have your shrink wrapped can, which is basically that blank nude can with a little uh, shrink wrap sleeve over it that's sent through a heat tunnel. Even sexier. Shrink down so it looks a little better than your plain labeled silver can. Then you have the creme de la creme, the printed can, uh, which is usually the cheapest version of that said can, but you have to order more of that can. Uh, so Ball used to require one truckload per skew of said can. Printed cans. Of, of printed can. Okay. So let's say you your flagship IPA... We're going to call it IPA. Let's just name that dog, dog. Because uh, <laughs> no brewery has ever done that. <laughs> no. uh, so let's say that's your biggest seller is IPA. IPA. Okay. Uh, and you used to do that three times a year. You'd order one truckload. Uh, and you were in a contract for three truckloads for the year. Ball would actually bring that. Be- they would have all three truckloads warehoused at their house when you'd place the order they'd load it on a truck send it to you you'd then use it when you're getting low enough you'd place your other order and then throughout the year you'd accumulate using three truckloads of cans each truckload of cans is about two hundred thousand cans if i remember correctly that's a lot of beer um even for a frat house (laughs) yeah um, so 204,000 cans is one truckload, uh, which if we want to dive in just because people are like, okay, two, that seems like an astronomical amount. Uh, here's about how much barrels. So that's 12 ounce cans. So you have 2,448,000 ounces divided by 128 ounces. It's about 19,000 gallons or... If we're going barrels, 616 barrels. So, I mean, like, your your average size brewery will fill those pretty... So, let's take Kings and Convicts, who we had talked about. Good mid-sized brewery that... <laughs> a, a thousand barrels when they purchased Ballast Point. Right. So, they'd... if, And this is all one skew, not total. I mean, you can do uh, what the brewery I work for does... S- print one skew of just a printed can and then all the rest of our cans are printed but just a blank base print uh that we label over uh i've seen a lot of breweries actually start doing that i know like snake river out of jackson hole wyoming does that where they do a blank (laughs) printed can with the map of the snake river that which is which is brilliant by the way oh awesome uh fun way to tie that in but so let's say Kings and Convicts was doing that for all their beers that they canned. If all their beer they made that year was canned, they'd need about one and a half chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. To cover their beer supply. And that's assuming they can every single one of the beers, which no brewery does. Correct. (laughs) Uh, And did zero draft production. It was all straight cans. Because they don't have a tap room. They don't sell on draft. They are the... 
Actually, they are a South Carolina, uh, no, South, yeah, South Carolina um, brewery. Because when I, this was years ago, um, but um, I think it's changed since then. But there was no, um, uh, there was no such thing as a brew pub there in like 2010 around. Like the idea of a brew pub hadn't caught on, and so they all that they these breweries did all just mm. they did just do cans and, and draft. So. Ball now upped it to where it's five truckloads, so that's 1,020,000 cans. Uh, So, let's do the same math here. Please uh, stand by while Uh, Tyler does math. You have to do 3,084 barrels a year, or a order. Yeah. For those cans. And Ball's no longer warehousing those. So when you call up Ball and go, hey, I need this print. Oh, shit. You got... They all come five truckloads at once, and you got to find a place to fucking store them. Oh, shit. That's the part. I did not understand that part of it. Because I knew the new minimum order was one thing. Yeah. They are not warehousing any of their orders anymore. But, I mean, you order for the year, and you got to store that shite. Which, five truckloads of pallets is... That's huge. You need a, yeah. a you need a separate building for that. Like, I work for a pretty you work, big lo- local brewery. You work for you work for the like the like number what three two or three depending on the year I think. And one truckload takes up a lot of space. I was reading some forums and they actually were talking uh, because now smaller breweries, especially like the breweries that change up and rotate a lot of beers and you know don't do a lot of volume are trying to figure out what are they going to do because now you have to order five truckloads so that's not really a viable option or do you order through a can broker which the can broker industry is going to take off now right where they go in and they order all these cans from ball and then they'll warehouse them for you and you just got to buy but you're paying uh, upcharge off also, what you would have from Ball. Also, Christ, I just realized, I mean, as you mentioned before, but let's like take a minute to realize this, it's per skew. Yes. So even if you are big enough to have two truckloads per skew for your top, let's say three, Yeah. Jesus H. Christ, now you are warehousing six truckloads of cans. <laughs> oh, you're, tr- you're warehousing 15 truckloads of cans until you can get through them. Because let's say in a year you go through two truckloads. All right. You uh, get, per skew. Per yeah. skew. You get five all at once of each when you order it. You get five truckloads. I'm sorry. I'm missing something there. You so, got, so the minimum is two. No. The minimum is five now. The minimum is five truckloads. Per skew. Per skew. Christ. So a million cans... Per skew. So if you have three printed cans, like you were saying, and you go through two truckloads a year, you're having to order five up front, five up front, five up front. <laughs> Does Ball do? I mean, is that gonna be? A, is that gonna be an obvious shift to those non-printed cans, or? I or it's going to put a lot of people going through can brokers. Yeah. Uh, which then brings up an upcharge because you've added a middleman in who's got to take their cut. Uh, 
who will happily warehouse, I don't know how many, th- hundreds of truckloads, because that's yes. what they do. And th- th- they're set up for that. So with this here, um, in addition, so you have breweries that are facing that. Some breweries are talking because they've already reached out to can brokers and said it might be even cheaper to order the five truckloads, send four of those truckloads to the recycling center and just have those cans immediately recycled (laughs) uh, than to try to pay through some of the brokers. I mean, there's something like there's, there's something vaguely brilliant about like, like we just send the rest to recycling because I mean the, the mm-hmm. we'll get more for the aluminum than it's yeah, and it's cheaper than having to go through some of the brokers people are looking at, uh, and then to rub some salt in this wound. That'd be it. I I I, I, want, I look forward to going to the nearest recycling center and watching a brewery pull up with a couple trailers just stacked the high of can just like just dump them directly in. Uh, Ball also announced uh, their. Raising prices in addition to upping the minimums. So for 12-ounce cans, they're raising it uh, 28% from $93.23 for 1,000 cans to one nineteen eleven for 1,000 cans on 12-ounce cans. For 16-ounce cans, it's raising 19.5% from $134.88 to $161.15 for 1,000 cans. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm doing trying to do the math in my head, and I'm and, and I'm and I'm trying to think about this from a, uh, that strikes me as making 16 ounce cans. First of all, a much better value already. Am I, it, yes and no. I, I mean, 19 percent on a 16 ounce can, and you get to put and you're putting more of your liquid into one can, mm-hmm. um, which you can you know you know sell for more money. Even if you sell it for, I mean, even if you sell it for less, I feel like that does make it, you know, a better a, a better buy for the consumer, better better buy for the. Um, but for the you also per pallet per truckload get less cans. True. Okay. Yeah. That's, so it's it's a little it's about I mean it's it, I think negligible the, difference in but on the same but the same concept I don't know I think that's one of those things okay yeah it's probably so close you'd have to like sit there there and like grandly and have your numbers, actual numbers and, and then figure out well and also then figure out well because I I sense a even more because there was a weird convention sort of happened in craft beer and I don't know who made the rule but I I kind of like it um, that your regular releases are, are in twelve ounce cans. Mm-hmm. Special releases are in sixteen ounce cans. Um, I like the idea that I like. I don't. I I, don't, I like the sixteen ounce can. I just I I for a for a beer, it's a pint. It's a satisfying quantity. Yep. Of a of a nice light of a, of a nice uh, uh of a nice light beer. So I, that that makes me a little bit happy on that front. Yep. Despite the fact that you're going to go from paying, oh, I don't know, let's say uh, four bucks a, uh, a a 16 ounce can of a regular flagship uh, 16 ounce can to a, probably five bucks or six. Yep. Um, Make peace with this across the board, people. Just- <laughs> I, I was going to say, your canned beer is about to go up. Uh, well, I saw this even, um, I, I had this, I had this like weird um, yay us mo- moment because. I mean, we get our stories 
you know, we're not we, we're not uh, beating the pavement. We don't have time for that shit. We've got full time jobs, right? Mm-hmm. He has to sell the beer. I have to buy the beer and then sell it to other people. We, you know, we've got shit to do. So we don't do the we don't do the reporting on these stories. We just report what's being reported. But we're still ahead of CNN, the Washington Post, and what's a couple of other news agencies yeah. that just now picked up. Oh my God, your craft beer is going to cost more. No shit. Yes, we did that last week, bitches. <laughs> Two weeks ago. <laughs> Two weeks ago. Uh, but. Uh, the article in Craft Brewing Business also talked about there's going to be some additional impacts environmentally. Uh, plastic shrink sleeves and labels, a lot of times, uh, are not recyclable. Uh, do I, do, where I, the printed cans are recyclable. The whole can becomes not recyclable? Uh, it does if you don't take the label or... The shrink sleeve off of it. So you have to. So you can't just crush the can, throw it in the recycling bin, because then they they they'll just when they're sorting kick they it out. Sorting that really. So, because um, I I I don't know. I was I'm a, all right. I'm gonna confess something. I was bored one night and looked up raw aluminum recycling. <laughs> I, got, I became curious as to what uh, um, if you like throw a printed can in there does it just get yeah the paint just gets burnt off I don't yeah. know why it was yeah uh, I have a weird curiosity people just makes um, <laughs> and I think it varies state to state whether they'll actually try to peel that off or whatever but for the most part they'll reject especially the shrink wrap it usually always gets rejected some of the labels can go through it becomes a whole intricacy that I don't. Wanna... I would think. I would think that the just your slap a paper or whatever label on there will get burnt off in the uh, mm-hmm. in the in the smelt uh, uh, smelting process like the paint does. But um, uh, I guess I. I mean, I don't. I don't, listen. I've never smelted aluminum before. Yes. All right. It's not. It's not a hobby I have gotten into yet. Um, but yeah. So between you know the potential environmental cost. Uh, having to go through a brokerage or the added cost of now having to buy labels, label the can, shrink wrap the cans or whatever, you then are incurring on all this. Uh, We're going to see it jump up, and I'm curious to see if more and more people don't start almost transitioning back to bottles. That would be a really weird development, but, I mean, bottles strike me as... A weird bastion of stability. Although, I mean, after upgrading one's brewery to do cans, oh, it's gonna. I mean, well, it's it's an expensive pivot back to bottles. But it's. I mean, but what you're looking at, it's gonna be like what. It's gonna be interesting to see if and when the breaking point is, because it was mm-hmm. interesting to watch when the breaking point of cans was, and then it's now trying to get retailers to. Because when they draw up in like an Albertsons, absolutely. Uh, they, when they draw up the schematic, it is drawn up for that is can, that is can, that is can, that is a sixteen ounce can, that is a twelve ounce bottle. And the beautiful thing about cans is, especially, is that they fit so much. They they you require so much less vertical shelf space mm-hmm. and even width. Because you got to think uh, six pack of. <clears throat> Are we talking long neck bottles, short neck bottles, the stubby bottles, uh, plus then the six pack carrier adds an extra little bit. It all 
bottles are enormously fractions of inches when right. you have a 120 foot beer cooler. But it's the different. But you're talking about fractions of an inch of, of inches. But it's the difference between being able to put nine different skews onto a shelf and ten. Yes. And when you've got, you know, let's just say, you know, uh, easily like say ten coolers and you know six shelves a piece, you know that then leads to sixty sixty brands that aren't in. Yeah. Um, part of, I mean, uh, it's, yeah, someone who does a lot, who who plans for that. Let me tell you. The, 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 and that's not even getting into 12 packs where a 12 pack of can takes up a hell of hell a lot, lot less space than a 12 pack it, of bottles. And is a lot less cumbersome, by the way. So yes. that's that's interesting. So, I mean, so I think when we're talking about the economy of space and, the, and, and shelves, and also I think consumers' taste Preference. just uh, shifted towards cans. But it will be interesting to see what, if and when the tipping point on we need to go back to bot we need to like tear we need to tear this shit back out and go back to our do we still have our bottling system in that garage and or nantucket are we going to see a dying of the rotation nation specifically like the hazy ipas uh where it was a new hazy ipa every couple weeks in a 16 ounce can uh kind of die off the cans more stabilized and the rotation nation just really hone in on draft. I would be because that article actually brought up a couple things. Here's the five recommendations for what craft brewing business says you could do. Find another supplier. Good fucking luck. There's three of them. Uh, or y- you go to a brokerage and right. You you, you go to, pass along the cost you, you, and you just have to deal with it. You go to a brokerage, you you bend over the table, you drop trow and say, let's just get this over with. Yep. Can you spit on it, please? <laughs> uh, diversify your product. Uh, so breweries struggling with malt and hops quality uh, due to excessive heat, you can consider growing other styles or a hard seltzer. Uh, hire a sales associate and do some outreach to try to get into bars and restaurants. Well, don't know if you've looked at on-prem data, but... I ha- I haven't, but, I mean, give me a susson of what on-prem is at, like at the moment. Uh, not good. Uh, really? Still not? Uh, so here is... Uh, this was a infographic I saw from uh, the Seven Point Analytic Consulting showing draft share of domestic beer supply three-month moving average. So I'm just going to take a look at this. So he's, uh, what I'm looking at is a graph that starts on March of 19 and goes to July of 21. And so basically March of 19, you're saying pretty stable in and around 12%. And then, of course, March and May of 20, it takes a big dip, right? Uh, it climbs a little bit up until November of 20, drops again on January of 21, which is kind of to be expected. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes up a little bit in May of 21, st- holds steady in July of uh, 21. But what I'm seeing is basically it has never recovered because not I'm not. Oh, it's, just, it's, it's the domestic beer supply. So it's never recovered 12% where it was at the height of March uh, 2019. It has, it, it even now, it has hovered around little it looks like a little shy of 10 percent yep so uh, uh between eight and ten somewhere in there i mean yeah it's not a it's it's not it's not a terribly detailed graph but it makes the point yes um we've lost 
to this even to this day. And and the and the striking part about that graph you just showed me is that how consistent that it was it, it has been from month to month after the the big dip in um in uh march uh, march april of 2020 is that you know there's no there is no like slow up creep there's no looking at going oh there's the occasional bloop, bloop. there's a little bump but i mean you're looking it's remarkably consistent it's where it was it looks as consistent as it was before except for about two percent lower two to four percent somewhere in there Some, yeah they looked like four percent. It looked like two percent, but I was gonna say I think but, there was a couple months where it had dipped down. Fair enough. Um, I mean, get granular, but I mean, you're talking about two to four percent of the total beer sales in the country. You're talking about a decent chunk of beer having to go into cans as opposed to having to go being poured directly into a glass. And that's and I think the reason Ball's doing this is because everyone pivoted to cans at the same time, and it started straining their supply chain. And they said, you know what? Supply and demand, really. Everyone's trying to get this. Let's I mean, just say, instead of trying to break our back to serve everyone, we serve who's going to pay most of our bills. I, you know, I and also, uh, to quote the uh, late, great Terry Pratchett, um, uh, habis t- testiculum, habis cardia, habis cerebellum. <laughs> if you don't know Latin, well, I, I think you can, even if you don't know Latin, I feel like you can guess. Because <laughs> that's not really Latin. <laughs> that is uh, what we like to refer to as um, uh, uh, just adding uh, eum to the end of English words. Um, so all in all, be curious to see how craft breweries pivot to try to keep up with cans, whether people start going more labeled, go to brokerage. Or if we see rotation nation in the can start to die and it become a more draft-oriented thing. Or does this just push people back to bottles? Um, I don't know, but I'm going to make a prediction. Um, so long as... I mean, so we're seeing a big jump in cans. I feel like breweries can absorb... The breweries in the market can absorb this. So long as there's no a, not not a bigger increase going forward, I think we'll con- continue to see um, cans. But the thing is, I think the the I think to get you back into bottles is going to have to be a bigger jolt than what we're mm-hmm. seeing now. True, I think we, I could see just a plain black printed can with no UPC go, and then you have three or four breweries within a couple mile radius. If it's all sent to one, then they split it off between all four or five breweries, and each person's got a truckload. They then label it, still keeps their costs down, uh, but see more of a co-opting. Um, you know, I, I actually was talking about this with a friend of mine uh, earlier today, um, and she brought up kind of the same idea, to which I replied, yeah, but listen, um, trying to coordinate with uh, local breweries is the proverbial herding cats. Oh. So, good luck. <laughs> you might, trying to do that, you might go, you know what, fuck it, let's just go with a can broker, it hurts less. <laughs> I will pay money not I, to have to deal with these dipshits. I love local breweries, I truly do, but you are a bunch of... <laughs> You are uh, 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 some. You, you are like wild-eyed, fickle motherfuckers. <laughs> There's a reason every beer festival that invites people is like brewers. We need you there three hours before, ready to pour. Because 
Because we know that half of you are going to come in about an hour before... <laughs> and then be ready to pour by the time it starts. Yeah. So, they tell you to get there three hours, so maybe you show up two hours? I'm saying that I know I know our audience, and they're not the they're not the sort of people who uh, who show up bright eyed and bushy tailed to do what they're told. So, yes. <laughs> anywho, so we'll be curious to see what happens. Uh, Jeremy, what do we got next? A little more fallout from Bell's sale. Uh, just one more, I swear. Then I'm done for the year, in case something else happens. But anyway, so uh, with the sale of Bell's to Kieran, um, that of course means that they are no longer. Um, the largest Michigan-owned brewery. Um, this comes from Brian uh, Manzulo from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, the new top dog is in the oven mitt state is New Holland, and we're actually uh, I uh, brought one of their beers to uh, enjoy as we are uh, talking about them. We're I've got the uh, Dragon's Milk Reserve. It is a bourbon barrel aged stout with salted caramel. A lot of caramel. I was going to say, and the first thing I got is, whoa, caramel. I mean, woo. I mean, and salt. I get a lot. I mean, there's no ambiguity. Salted caramel. But I feel the salt cuts that sweetness to appropriate level where if it didn't have the salt, we'd be having another Bianca issue. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're not wrong. I mean, if it, that, that does make it. It's very nice. It's not a Bianca issue because that one was. Still a little sweet for me. It is. Um, but, um, um, I mean, it's acceptable. I don't think the, the, the 12 ounces I've brought for each of us is going to be more than enough. I'm probably going to be still sipping on this when I'm trying to edit this later. Um, but my big question is, isn't New Holland owned by Pabst Blue Ribbon? It is not owned by Pabst Blue Ribbon. Okay. Um, um, I will, uh, I mean, what the, the long story short of it is. Is they do? I mean, the 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 original owners are still in charge. They have a distribution deal with Pabst Blue Ribbon. So kind of like Yingling did with Molson Coors. Exactly how? Exactly what? The, the same thing. Okay. Basically, basically, it's a you know, and I don't know the specifics, but the idea is: listen, you know, we will. You can use our distribution chain. You know, and you'll pay us X amount of money. And we're taking basically a royalty off your beer Correct. to use our distribution footprint. But I mean the but the you know, the decisions on marketing and, and what beer to brew and the day to day operations are still being made um, in Holland, uh, Michigan. Okay. By the by the same people who started this brewery as basically um, uh, you know, a couple of home brewers, you know, it's it's the quintessential, you know, uh, uh, craft brew success story you know a couple of wide-eyed home brewers who uh said we should make this into a business and they did and it's i mean that explains a lot and but i mean they're one of, i think they're the only brewery i know of that have a barrel aged beer as a exactly. year-round core not not only that um what makes it mo- probably the most interesting is not only is the bourbon barrel aged stout a year-round offering from them it's arguably it's not their best seller. It's their flagship. It's yeah. a flagship beer, uh, Dragon's Milk, which is not this. This is their reserve series. I'll get into that in a second. Dragon's Milk is eleven percent barrel aged imperial stout. Um, it is available all year round, um, and basically every fucking grocery store. But usually, when you're deciding on a, a flagship. Listen, IPA is the obvious answer. Most popular beer style. Half the time when people walk into a tap room, they look around, bleary-eyed, and mutter, uh, give me Got your... Got any I- IPAs? Yeah. 
Um, some people go lighter, which makes sense. Um, whole brands have been crafted around wheat beers, Widmere, uh, 312, uh, Boulevard, uh, a couple have set up camp around something I'm more akin to a domestic. Mm-hmm. Um, but a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout as a flagship is so risky. Seems to fly in the face of everything that uh, that a good flagship should be. So I mean, let me let me ask you a question, Tyler. I mean, when you're thinking of a flagship, give me like three attributes you're looking for a good flagship. Consistency to Con- reproduce. Consistency to reproduce. All right, let's let's think. Well, let's let's think about that one for a second. A bourbon barrel aged imperial stout is tough to, to repro- reproduce consistently. Even if you can get the same barrels from the distilleries all the time to do that, if you get a slight infection, that's fucking. But I would argue that it's but it's easy if you're doing it all the time and you start blending because that's how that's Fremont. That, that, well, Fremont, and that's also how that's how Johnny Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, the first um, um, blended Scotch whiskey. Um, Managed to make, uh, to basically make, manage to make the same product all the time okay. is by blending is by, is essentially by blending, which makes what you know when you say single malt scotch. That's what you're talking mm-hmm. about: single malt, single barrel. Each barrel, you know, every batch might be a little different. different. But when you're going blended scotch, you know, when, when you're a scotch geek, that's kind of what you're looking for. Like, ooh, this you know that you know the you know the such and such the twenty the twenty eighteen is far superior than it's the, like you know, wine it's a bit like wine um, for any number of reasons like you know the aging conditions the weather the weather is um, is when you're talking about barrels is um, huge is yeah it's because you know because the barrels will actually expand and contract you with, want those temp swings with the with the seasons and if the yeah if the temp swings aren't there. Um, you're it's going to change the flavor, but you know how Johnny Walker gets around this is by just blending them until they get roughly the same thing. And I'm going to go on a limb and suggest that's what Dragon's Milk does. But that's then a high cost of staffing because you have to have people who can taste and make sh- and blend to the right amount each time. So I mean, but that's you know, so that's so I mean, but you're absolutely right. That I mean that is it's. I think what we're, what we're saying is that it's doable. But it's fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, one time at the last brewery I worked at, we had four or five bourbon barrels. And we were trying to decide, do we blend them all together? Do we blend only a couple together? And like sitting there trying to nitpick the same beer in five barrels blended in the right mixture made me really appreciate companies like that or... Companies like Firestone Walker that do their anniversary where it's just a blend of all these different barrel-aged beers because it's blending, so hard. Blending is a science and it's, it's almost like a... It's an art. You know, I mean, you can... Yeah, someone who can blend who can blend beer, blend wine, um, that's a that's a skill that's as complex and, um, and as difficult as brewing the beer to begin with. I would take a master blender over a master brewer. <laughs> Insert masturbator joke here, um, um, but you're, but you're right. I mean, so so the first thing you're running into is is uh, reproducibility or consistency. Um, I'm gonna throw one out here: approachable. Yes. Breweries that go with an IP, you know, breweries that go with an IPA, notwithstanding, uh, a good flagship uh, should be something that will appeal to more people. Exactly, a wider range of people, including those who are not typically into craft beer, and a bourbon barrel aged stout is, is a lot. 
for somebody who only dabbles in, you know, mm-hmm. basically kind of dabbles into mastics or only dabbles in craft beer. I would also then throw in price, not just necessarily price on the shelf, but price to cost to make, because absolutely that's going to influence price on the shelf. And the I've talked about this with several people before. That's why it's so nice to live in a state like Idaho where you can actually sample someone in a store. It makes it a lot easier to move that beer when you can give someone a little two-ounce sample because a two-ounce sample is less commitment than a six-pack. I, I mean, that's I have that on my list as well, um, affordable. And I was, But I was focusing more on the, the brewery side. I mean, obviously... Um, I mean, people will spend, I think it's, um, I think you're looking at about $20 a four-pack of Dragon's Milk. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, if you walk into almost any Albertsons right now, you're looking 11 12 bucks 12 a six-pack. Well, and it also, I mean, this kind of ties into the, what I what I brought up earlier, um, uh, you know, approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're talking about, I mean, are you going to get the, is, is Dragon's Milk going to be the the next step for the Bud Light drinker? No. no. But two things. Number one, I feel like the the market for um for like trying to convert um domestic beer drinkers is getting very very slim. Either, you know, people like domestics, they're going to stick with domestics or they like domestics, they'll have a craft beer once in a while or they just drink craft beer, but there's not there's there's not a lot of room con- for conversion. I don't mm-hmm. think as much not as much as there was like 10 years ago. No. Um, and so, I would almost Now ar- you're trying to convert wine and liquor drinkers. And I would argue that a, a bourbon barrel aged stout is kind of brilliant because I mean, if you've got somebody who's you know, who's looking at that uh, you know, approachable. If you've never had one, first of all, it is bourbon barrel aged stouts these days. You know, price wise, very reasonable. You get mm-hmm. four 12 ounces for again, I think twenty bucks. Yeah, or less. Or if you've got, let's take a look at Lagunitas with the Willitized. That's a twelve fourteen dollar six pack of a bourbon barrel aged twelve percent stout. That's Almost as affordable as most flagship IPAs. Oh, Jesus. I mean, any more Fremont. I love your beer, Fremont, but get a hold of yourself. They're going upwards of 30 bucks a bottle. Yeah. Um, and so- I remember when Fremont came out with the ancient ones, and it was like 30 bucks for a 12-ounce, like 20, 30 bucks for a 12-ounce bottle. And I was like, I had never paid that price. And now I'm seeing their prices just continually jump, and I was like, I'd hate to see what the... Ancient ones would run right now. Um, as you can see, uh, I did spring for uh, Goose Island's uh, Blanton's. Uh, yeah, Blanton's. Which I thought about doing for one reason, one reason only: the little cork that comes with it. <laughs> I, f- I figured we'd crack that on our hundredth episode. Perfect. Uh, um, uh, but that's the perfect example. Uh, how much does that retail for? Fifty-four dollars. Fifty-four dollars. Okay. Uh, I heard of a couple places in the valley selling it for sixty. Uh, yeah, we were, I, and I thought we were being extremely reasonable. I mean, but that's kind yeah. of our thing. But so you could go buy a bottle of Blanton's. I think forty-seven bucks. Yeah. Buy a regular Goose Island, Bourbon County for fifteen. Okay, so they went up a little this year. Yes. So, but that's what sixty, sixty-two. 
Yeah. You drop a shot in there, <laughs> and then you still have a full bottle of Blanton's to drink. <laughs> Your North Idaho uh, pragmatism never ceases to astound. But I mean, you're but you're not wrong. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I guess the point I was kind of making is that is that if you're if if someone's kind of curious about bourbon barrel aged stouts, um, this is both approachable and affordable. So it is in kind of a weird way. Ideal on both the of those. Of both worlds. Um, um, the other thing I wrote down was drinkable slash sessionable. Ideally, one would think that a good flagship would be something you could buy in 12 packs um, or at very least six packs, and they function as a daily drinker. Um, an 11% beer, you know, a kind of day you're, with, you're having, notwithstanding, is not a daily, really a daily, not really a daily drinker. It's not... It's very much the opposite of that. A 12 ounce of this is probably enough for most people on an average day. But let's get back to your wine and liquor drinkers. A bottle of this is about equivalent to a glass of wine with dinner. Correct. Um, and I think that's, I mean, and we're, although where I thought about this is I've got friends who will drink a stout, and even an imperial stout, even a bourbon beige imperial stout in 110 degree heat after they've just mowed the lawn um, while camping. It doesn't matter. While the rest of us are like drinking a Pilsner or something that we perceive as more refreshing, they're reaching for a big-ass stout because it doesn't matter the season. That's what they like. Yeah. And I, will, and I guarantee you, a lot of times in the middle of summer, on a grocery stout, grocery uh, a beer shelf. Uh, there will be times when you're looking down IPA, IPA, Pilsner, Pilsner, IPA, IPA. Oh, Jesus. Oh, there's the stout. Mm-hmm. Dragon's milk. Yeah. Uh, the down, the, kind of the opposite side of the coin on this, though, uh, how you were talking, it is approachable for new people and does play towards some of those beer nerds because I feel they've got that distribution agreement with PBR. Exactly. It's going to hurt them against the beer nerds because it is more readily available. But I, it I is... Think about when Revision was only sending small little pallet drops to this market, and they were gone like that in days. And then as soon as Revision started consistently distributing here... Yeah. It's... The, the sell-through... Took a huge hit because people were like, "It's not that new anymore." Well, I mean, nothing. Listen, I again, I, I craft beer people. I love you. You are the reason I get to basically spend my life, you know, bullshitting about beer and get money for it. But you are impossible to deal with, okay? <laughs> because you'll be Boneyard. Boneyard is a great example. I don't know how many people I've just been like hearing. Um, you know, go on and on for years. Oh my God, Boneyard! Boneyard is the if greatest. If they could come here, I'd be, be happy. And then I and I and then they come here, and the and I, you know, I we, we carry them, we carry them, we do carry them. And by the way, it takes me the better part of three months to get through a case. <laughs> you fucking fickle motherfuckers. <laughs> or you're like, hey, I got Boneyard now, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. now that I can get it. Yeah, it's fucking the grocery store now. What else you got? <laughs> you like really motherfucker it's just can we listen i mean it's, it's it's not even that you're that you're looking for the latest and greatest i get it so am i i'm always what do i buy i buy the beer i haven't had yet 
But... But could you at least buy it for a couple of months? (laughs) Or at least acknowledge that it is still a good beer, even though that you can get it. Have that, you fork. No one takes into account... And I've got on my soapbox about this with you. (laughs) Like, everyone thinks rarity makes the beer better. No one takes or gives props for availability. Uh, Like... That that's the reason we talked in that one article that Vine Pair named Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing the right. most influential IPA because it's so readily available, it's shelf stable, and they it's a damn tasty beer. But perfect example. Everyone thinks Pliny the Elder is the God's gift to fucking beer. It is a delicious beer. I am not disregarding that. But, but if, it, but if it, it had the distribution of Sierra Nevada, the, no one would want it. The minute the minute they they brought it here, I would sell five cases that week, and then I'd buy the next. I'd buy a case the next week, and it would last me for another six months. Yes, <laughs> and that was my point when we did that blind taste test. Pliny the Elder versus Loopy Lynn River. I was like, Loopy Lynn River is just as good of a beer. It, in my opinion, it was better, and. It wasn't as sought out after because it had bigger distribution. Um, but um, anyway, I think we're getting uh, <laughs> got in the weeds. But I mean, we, you know, hey, it happens. Um, but I, I, you, you, I mean, you're hitting upon, you know, kind of where New Holland's um, success is largely built on, um, and that's why they've been able to build. I mean, I think the only other brewery that I can think of, correct me if I'm wrong, but the only other brewery that's made their bones off of. Uh, something like Dragon's Milk is left hand, like their nitro milk stout. Yes, but even then, it's Otherwise, apples to oranges. I mean, but you're—I mean—you're talking about a five, six percent sweet stout versus a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout. Yes, but also on the left hand side, you have a very niche on-prem opportunity where a lot of, not a ton of people make nitros. So you have bars who have nitro handles that are looking always for that next nitro. And if you can consistently provide that nitro, yeah, then they're going to consistently you, keep you. Well, and that's kind of where I, I think that's where I was going with um, our little foray into what makes a flagship beer is because I think, you know, I, I, you know, I, I perhaps perhaps I led people there, but I didn't say it. I think Dragon's Milk fills a very weird niche for people who want a bourbon barrel aged stout that tastes kind of the same wherever it is that is available kind of everywhere and is i mean there's not a huge i don't think there's a huge market for people who want a bourbon barrel aged stout uh uh you know anytime anywhere but there's enough of them that it's available you can get it you're never i i agree and i'm going to say this you'll never be the super fast growing small brewery doing this or you'll never be able to really be huge and sustain yourself in only a few states um well you've got to cast that wider net like they did with that distribution agreement to because the sell through during some months is not going to be where it needs to be correct um but i mean the good news is is that 
I mean, you don't have to worry as much about code dates. I was gonna say you don't have to. Yeah, who's gonna listen? If you're the distrib- distributor, you're going fuck it. There's no code date on it. Although it is, a, it does have a code date. Well, everything yeah. technically has to have a code date. Does it have to? Yes. Must maybe if not, if it's locally produced because there's a bunch of beers on my shelf that I need to call up and say you guys need a code date. But anyway, yeah. this was this was produced in September of 21, um, and let me just say it's very fresh. Um, but um, uh, the New Holland success. Um, built that largely built this beer, you know, based on Pap's, you know, distribution channels. I, um, let me rephrase that. I think if it crosses state line, it okay, that makes sense. Um, that actually makes sense because then you get bigger chains wanting to know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, where I was going with this is that um, Dragon's Milk actually through their through being able to be distributed across the country in forty six states, I think I believe it was. Um, they've made. New Holland has made Dragon's Milk kind of like Firestone's uh, 805. It is a brand in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's got its own website. Um, it's. Uh, I don't know if I've had a beer from them that's not been Dragon's Milk. You can't get anything from New Holland here in this market. I mean, they do have you know they do have a uh, a regular run of beers, um, you know that they distribute in and around. Even when I was beer trading, I only traded for Dragon's Milk. Right. Um, but um, um, you know, but it's so it's kind of a brand in of itself that also has a line of products, including um, a beer barrel aged bourbon. Okay, which makes sense. So, like the Jameson Castmates. Uh, I mean, why not get a little bit more liquid out of a barrel? Um, Dragon's Milk even has milk, a seltzer, <laughs> a bourbon barrel aged seltzer. Get uh, the fuck out! <laughs> called <laughs> called Dragon Share. That the Detroit Free, Free Press described in an article about it, not bad. <laughs> Get the fuck out. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, like I said, what what made this what made this uh, 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 possible um, is a distribution deal. Like I said, with signed with Pap, that was signed with Paps in 2016, and that's a deal that CEO found and founder Chris Vanderkamp said allowed the brewery to stay independent. And now brews fifty thousand barrels of beer every year, which Fuck. beats which beats out the second biggest Michigan-owned brewery by a good thirty thousand barrels. How much of that fifty thousand is Dragon's Milk? It didn't say, but I'm guessing a majority. Probably eighty. Um, Vanderkamp was quoted in the article about the Paps deal. Quote: What it allowed for us was to keep control of our brands, our marketing, our space, our pubs, and continue to focus on other alcoholic beverages we love, including spirits, hard seltzer, etc. Quick side note, I feel like he's like just saying hard seltzer because no one loves hard people love hard seltzer just not us yeah (laughs) anyway uh back to the quote it afforded us all that and to continue to grow on a national level and while he relishes the freedom of that being independent gives him along with the deal that uh, you know deal with a larger entity that like paps that allows him to reach a lot further than he would otherwise he says he doesn't fault bell for making um what was really a tough decision that we've talked about and that's the no man's land. Um, well, not even the no man's land. I mean, what what really came down to was um, Larry Bell wanted to pass on his company to his children, and it doesn't sound like his children wanted it. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you do with a company after that? And he's what seventy some, sixty something, sixty some. You know, he wants to retire, which fair enough. I would too. Um, 
And so, I mean, you know, I don't... 40 years when you, in when, the craft beer game? When you describe... We'll grind you the fuck down. I mean, today is, <laughs> is grind Tyler. I mean, so if you, if you described some of what happened, I don't think many people are going to fault uh, the decision. No one in the industry will fault Larry Bell. And Vanderkamp was quoted in the article saying, quote, I'm happy for Larry and the Bells family. I know he's gone through a lot. And this was, uh, and this was not an easy decision uh, for him, but I am happy for him. And he says, well, he has no plans to sell. I'm not sure that carries as much weight as it once did um, because craft beer fans have been hurt before. Um, also, can you blame a guy who is sitting there scraping by, grinding by, and then sees a check with that many zero and goes... You just gotta kick back and relax. Um, I realize I'm realizing um, you loan me the book. And I'm actually gonna do a little uh, review on it uh, when I finish it uh, sometime next, next year. The uh, the Josh Noel book about Goose Island. Um, but I'm realizing um, that when I when I was in my 20s, I could not conceive of selling to AB InBev. Uh, now in my 40s, if someone handed me a check, I'd be like, "Fuck it, Budweiser is king." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I I get it. I get it now. Um, and especially, like, that book gives you a real unique perspective where you see the grind he had to put in. Um, I mean, so I'll, we'll talk about that more. But um, what I'm, I think what I'm getting at is, you know, um, is is that, you know, the the I, I don't think it's, it's – it's really hard to fault um, Larry Bell uh, for making the decision that he did. Um, but at the same time, I think there is value in uh, independent um, – uh, craft brewery, uh, the biggest of which is New Holland, and what's really kind of strangely encouraging for me is that he looks at this uh, beer landscape, being I'm sure a very you know successful for person who's running now the biggest brewery in Michigan and one of the largest breweries in the country. Um, he still sees a very fertile uh, ground for new uh, for new beer, saying, "quote There's so much energy that's coming into the craft beer space." Um, you can get it. You can get into it for so much less money than, say, 25 years ago. You can start with hardly any cash, work hard, find space, open your doors, and have a built-in consumer base if your beer is decent. Um, I'm super excited for folks and the energy coming into the industry. I'm not so sure about um, the entry fee. I think there's a lot of there. The entry fee is I, less. I, I can agree with, depending what you're trying to do. You're not going to turn, start a brewery, bootstrap, and most likely get up to where you're distributing 50 states. It The craft beer industry, I feel, went from on-prem to off-prem, back to on-prem, now to own-prem. Right. Where, if you're like, what the fuck is own-prem? It's where you're more taproom focused, and if you just want to be... A regional player that does some distribution in the on-premise game, in the off-premise game, but 90% of your stuff is sold through your own tap room. There's plenty of room still. I, I do agree when he says there's a built-in market now because I think go back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. there was a whole lot of having to educate people as to what your product was and why it was worth spending more money on. Mm-hmm. Now I think the people who you know, the people who are into it are into it 
and you don't really have to... They're s- starting to be the pull-through on the customer side, not necessarily the push. Correct. So, I mean, you don't have to... You, you don't. You know, when you set up you know, set up shop, put, up, put out your shingle, you don't have to spend time going, listen, this is an IPA. It's short for India Pale Ale. It has a lot more hops, so it's going to be hoppier than the Budweiser you are or, used to. Why doesn't that look like my Budweiser? Right. You don't have to do that. People kind of go in, and like I joked before, uh, where's your IPA? Well, sir, we have... Seven of them. So <laughs> step right up, and the education has changed. But I mean, the the, the cool thing is, I, I I don't think the education ever goes away because there's always more things to learn, and that's what makes this a fun industry to work in and a fun industry to uh, be a fan of. Uh, but you're but there's less of there's less of uh, can I have a Budweiser? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Let me start you on our Blondale, and we'll work from there. Um, Tyler, what? <laughs> well, speaking of Bud, uh, found this uh, article from hazyandhoppy.com uh, uh, where the author, Sean Williams, decided to, because he really wanted to experiment with what the flavors of hops like really lend to a beer, so he dry hopped Bud Light. Like yeah, like you do, like all of us have dreamed of. Which uh, actually is weirdly brilliant. Although from a, I would have went with Coors Light over Bud Light. I was just about to say that because Bud Light has, has a flavor where Coors Light does not. It has an off flavor. It, it's called a Seattle Little Hide. It tastes like green apples, um, and it is their signature flavor. But it's mm-hmm. technically an off flavor in some amounts. It's mm-hmm. a whole thing. Just that the, it's a beer judging thing. Uh, um, but I'm, Coors Light would have been a better fit. Because but that's semantic. Because it is because it is it is the proverbial sex in a canoe. Yes, it is water. Uh I mean, when Jeremy, you can weigh in on this. Don't when most places hold off flavor classes, they use Coors Light so Correct. you you can add the what, flavor and you get nothing you else. You can't well, you can't use Budweiser because you're always competing with the acetyl high because it, I mean you're already dealing with an off flavor. Uh, Coors Light is I mean you could there's a there's a bunch of things that that uh, you could use, um, but I feel like I mean I think you could also use Miller Light um, or possibly even Pabst. But I mean the but you're getting other flavors. But I mean you're talking about the most like neutral flavor that is still beer. Coors Light is generally a Generally, the uh, mm-hmm. the opinion of being basically that. Okay. So, he said the motivation for this experiment was to evaluate as many heavy hitters New England IPA hops varieties out there. Uh, so, um, here's kind of what he did. He ordered a bunch of hops from uh, Yakima Valley Hops. Uh, 2020 Eldorado, 2020 Idaho 7, 2021 Citra, 2020 Vic Secret. 2021 Nelson Savan, uh, 2021 oh, Strata, Nelson. 2020 Azaka, 2021 Mosaic, 2020 Eclipse, 2021 Galaxy, and then he did some that were a Strata Eldorado mix, Nelson Savan and Vic Secret mix, Eclipse and Strata mix, and Hollertal Blanc. Uh, so what he did is he took tw- bought a 12 pack of Bud Light bottles. Chilled them down so they were very cold. He popped, he unscrewed the cap, added eight to ten hot pellets into each bottle, uh, sealed the bottles back up, and kept a beer in the fridge uh, so the hops would eventually settle to the bottom. 
Uh, he kept the hops on the beer for 24 hours. Um, so that way he'd get the flavor but not have a ton of issues come up on that. Um, he mentions in the article uh, that this experiment renders gushers he saw on a Reddit post. <laughs> and he can confirm all 12 bottles gushed. Uh, because when... Because hops have nucleation points. Yes. Uh, and so he'd open each bottle over the sink and gush for about a minute or two, uh, getting most of the hop material out of there, uh, but leaving about six ounces of beer in the 12-ounce bottle. Jesus. It gushed that much? Yes. Okay. Which, if you've ever been yeah. at a brewery okay. and you do a dry hop edition, you have to put the lid back on. Like, if you do a big enough dry hop edition, you can actually shoot out the top port. Yeah. So, it, I was not surprised seeing that. Um, so, uh, with this, at, he did do one in a mason jar that came out a little better. Uh, but, he transferred the beer into a mason jar, dry hopped directly into that. Proved to be a little better scenario. Uh, but... At the 12-hour mark, he'd lay each bottle on its side to help the hops fall to the bottom of the bottle. Uh, caused a little bit of fizzing. Uh, he degassed each bottle by barely cracking the cap and letting the CO2 start to escape uh, before opening over the sink. Uh, with this, he'd pour through a fine mesh filter, collecting about 90% of the hop matter uh, over what would go into the taster. Uh, all the beers were nice and hazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like I said, he's added 8 to 10 hop pellets of each hop variety to every bottle. Uh, he said none of these beers tasted like Bud Light anymore. Uh, he recommends cl cleansing your pellet with some small ground coffee uh, between each, so that way... Coffee. So smelling. Wolf. Oh, gotcha. Okay, smelling. I'm like, yes. Like, okay, smelling. I'm going. For some reason, my my brain was on like tasting. I'm like, that's that seems like a weird flavor to. Yes. Um, you'd want like saltine crackers. Well, I mean, for 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 um, for like taste palate cleansing. Although mm -hmm. I will let you a little on a little secret. I may have uh, told people this before on this podcast, but when you're beer judging, you'll often smell your own arm. <laughs> to yep, because it resets your palate. That or right in between your index finger and thumb does the same effect. Uh, it resets your palate back to your scent. I really, I did not know that. And that's, I feel like I like that better because it's a little bit more discreet than like. <laughs> uh, but so a little rundown. Uh, the Eldorado, uh, really nice overall and his favorite all around. Got a lot of candy bursting with tropical flavor and aroma. Peach, melon, pineapple, and tropical fruits. Uh, citra, he said, by far the most citrusy and fruity samples. Vibes of apricot, sweet fruit, and black tea. Uh, probably the most aromatic sample he had. It's a no-brainer why it's so popular in fruit-forward IPAs. Um, you're a big Nelson Savant. I'm a huge Nelson Savant. Subtle fruity notes with a black pepper finish. Black pepper. I noticed this same black pepper in some Trillium beers brewed with Nelson. Uh, think it's the variety largely thought of as a fruity hop 
but the black pepper notes really. Pop. It's a weirdly sharp flavor, though. Mm-hmm. Um. So with this, he has a little description on each. Uh, kind of in the final thoughts. Uh, the highlights for him were Eldorado, Citra, Strata, Azaka, and Eclipse. Um, Mosaic and Idaho Seven were his least favorite on their own. Really? Well, and it kind of makes sense because. Outside of Sierra Nevadas, when they originally introduced Idaho 7, I've never seen someone really do a single hop with Idaho 7 because it lends itself to so many other hops. I've always seen combinations. Um, But it's a really cool experiment for someone who wants to get a little more familiar with some hops they maybe want to use in home brewing or they see around and want to kind of understand a little more about hops. Uh, And... Uh, it's a fun little play off a of domestic beer. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to, um, you know, I'm a member of our local homebrew club. I kind of want to, I kind of want to run that experiment, but with Coors Light and uh, see what the, uh, see what the uh, results are. So I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe uh, um, uh, stay tuned for that. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, how you know you've given up on making good beer news now? Or, you know, maybe just trying to one-up the, the, the competition in the uh, Strange Label game. Um, what, I'm, what I'm getting is uh, uh, it, beer labeling is getting increasingly weird. And I don't think uh, that's a, a huge uh, mind blow for anybody. And we'll get into more on that later. Too. Um, th- this comes from uh, craftbeerbrewingbusiness.com. And this one's by Keith Gibbons. Um, Gribbons, excuse me. Um, Tyler, I assume you're at least uh, a little bit... Um, aware of what augmented reality labels are. Oh, dude, I love augmented reality labels. Uh, there's a couple different apps for small breweries that want to actually use it. Vinyl is one of the best ones. Uh, they cover most of the development and like hosting for it. Uh, it's about the most entry-level option you can get as a small brewery. Um, but, I mean, augmented real- reality labels add another layer to storytelling for Beer, wine, just any consumer product, product packaging. And if you're asking, what the fuck is he talking about? I mean, basically, here's the idea. So you have a beer label, right? And you uh, download said app. So there's like there's something about the beer label, and you download an app, and you put your phone up, to, you put your camera's phone up to it, and it starts to produce a movie i mean mm-hmm. like, like if you haven't seen this um the best thing 19 to do 19 crimes one i was about to just about to say go to your local uh, grocery store you know download the 19 crimes app um go to your local grocery store um and and see the label over the label um that's that's what, what we're talking about here um uh, university of oregon actually just did a huge for their football game with the oregon state beavers uh did a huge thing where they threw it on the Jumbotron, or if you had the right augmented reality app, you could throw it up. They, as, because Halo... You could throw it up on the field and make the Oregon team look good? Eh. <laughs> uh, but Actually, I think Oregon's doing fine. I don't know. I don't, you they gave, choked away their chance at the playoffs. Listen, so. you, you gave me a worthless... You, you, I paid a, a lot of money for... I didn't pay. My father paid for a lot of money for a worthless degree, and here I am doing a podcast about beer. So, so but... <laughs> Uh, they did an augmented reality like game promo uh, because Halo is coming out with a TV show now, the popular Xbox video game. They worry when it wasn't okay. I'm not gonna get it. Okay, so but <laughs> you could throw it up and you saw 
the plane that Master Chief flies loop the stadium, come land, and him walk am I, out. Am I the only person in this fading republic that remembers um, Red vs. Blue? Blue? I'll say thank you. So, no. Uh, but this is, like, Red vs. Blue wasn't necessarily, like, this is, remember the storylines from Halo? This is... No. Nobody remembers the storylines from Halo. This is basically a storyline from Halo TV was... show about Master Chief in the, the storyline. The storyline from Halo was basically wandering through things that look exactly the same over and over and over again. Um, I didn't like Halo. It was so anyway. But so it's starting to become more and more widespread. Well, but Nineteen Crimes is kind of the like leader in the alcohol industry on the augmented reality apps. Well, since you mentioned games. I have the perfect segue for you. Uh, <laughs> um, the one company that does work with um, with uh, uh, beer and wine and alcohol companies to turn their labels into these adorable little experiences, um, uh, because even looking at a beer label has got to be an experience now. Um, the one company has taken one step further and added a game to the platform. Um, uh, Swigger. Is just one of the many companies that has popped up over the last few years promising to bring uh, one spear label to life with the aid of your phone. But, to quote a company's press release, uh, this game is, quote, a great concept and addition to Swigger's uh, um, uh, uh, idea. It's a fun, share-worthy experience, and it's first of its kind. Um, millions of people watch basketball every week, with with many enjoying a few beers during that game. Um a little bit of a dangerous idea. People do people do a lot of things while drinking beer, um, and I don't think you want a game where you try to bugger all the animals uh, while you try to escape from a zoo. Actually, never mind. That actually, sounds like a wonderful game. I kind of want to <laughs> play that game now. But the point is, is that just because people do it while drinking beer, maybe do, maybe don't want to feature it on a on a video game. But anywho, we'll move on. Um, so the first game they came up with is a pretty simple basketball shooting game. Um, you scan the can with your phone. And then you swipe, you know, up uh, into your to you know shoot you know, virtual basketballs into your real beer can, right? And then when you run out of balls, you tip the can upside down, and the balls and possibly your beer that you've forgotten is in the can <laughs> pour out, and you can. I love <laughs> this so far. Like I've got a marketing boner that has lifted the table. <laughs> Tipping the can that got me. It's like, and you can tip the can over and empty the balls. You like, better <laughs> slam your beer before you tip the can. I'm just like, I could just, I, I couldn't help but wonder how many people are going to dump their beer all over the bar before they're like, oh shit, sorry. Well, that's, uh, what was it? So the Boise Hawks did there for a little while. It was super popular. All the bottom fill cups. So it's the plastic oh, right, right. where they just shoved down and had a magnet that would pop up. It'd fill the beer from the bottom instead of pouring from the top. And then you pull it up and the magnet would sink down. Well, went to a Boise Hawks game. Was slamming a lot of these beers. And you'd sit there and you'd finger fuck the hole for lack of better term. <laughs> you'd be playing with the magnet with your pinky. And then you'd lift up too much. And all of a sudden you'd just <laughs> right over your lap you'd feel... Bloosh. And you're, oh shit! <laughs> so, uh, I could, I hate to admit it, I'd probably be someone who'd be like, oh man, I'm out of balls. Oh fuck, I still had beer. <laughs> I just got an image of Tyler just sitting there fingering the beer's hole. <laughs> no, you'd be sitting there watching the baseball game and you'd be 
like slightly moving it around you'd know kind of about how far you could go and you'd accidentally push up too high and then you just feel beer hitching and you're like nope <laughs> too far too far too far sorry i'm sorry um but anyway, um, so something to look forward to. Uh, more games are apparently coming soon. The arcade classic Space Invaders is set to be rolled out. Yards Brewing is reportedly working on a version of Donkey Kong, or something inspired by that game, as part of their, quote, Level Up series. So judging by the name, expect uh, more games coming out there. And not just when you turn the can upside down. <laughs> uh, so... Are these all just with Yars Brewing, or is there no? It sounds like beers? it sounds like the, the, just the Donkey Kong inspired game is with Yards Brewing. I'm not sure. It sounds if I had to guess, they had, they didn't mention you know the the, the basketball specific? the basketball game. If it exists in the market, it may just be a any beer. It may just be kind of a uh, something they're rolling out as kind of a look what we could do for you. Mm-hmm. It didn't mention anybody by name. Um, nor did it mention Space Invaders by name. I just kind of a generic like, hey, if you want to put a game on your beer label, beer can. you know, send us your beer label. We'll do this, and we'll. I mean, especially the the uh, um, the the basketball game seems like that'd be a super easy thing to do with literally any beer label. Yeah. So you sound like you could just like send your beer label in. Uh, they'll put it into this. You know, uh, might I'll, have to download that app and just see what all beers I can do. Maybe it's any beer. I don't know. It's good. Just don't dump your beer on your lap. That's what I guess what I'm getting at. <laughs> no promises. Uh, Tyler, you got one more for us today. Yep. Uh, we're going to go a little naughty beer labels right now. Ah. So, Jeremy and I debated this. Apparently, 2019, we talked about this same well, brewery beer We label. didn't talk about it. Um, me and a gentleman of mine, Eric Talbert, uh, who actually brought us the Arrogant, Arrogant Bastard yes. Jägermeister collaboration. Yes. When I, you were... I dodged that bullet. When you were selfishly... No, I guess it was last year, because you selfishly left... No, it was January 2020. Or, no, just December. It was December 2019. Okay, no, it was because you selfishly left to go uh, to go uh, attend your grandfather's funeral. Grandmother's. Okay, grandmother's funeral. Yeah, and it wasn't funeral. She just died, and then yeah, way to be an asshole. It's uh, <laughs> what I'm here for. So <laughs> Sycamore Brewing. This, I'm just saying your commitment to this podcast <laughs> is kind of in question. I don't mean to call you out now, but I am going to. Um, when family members die, I just didn't <laughs> want to try the Jagermeister <laughs> Stone Clap. Actually, actually, that was a good call. It wasn't great. <laughs> uh, but so they had a reindeer boinking label that year. Uh, boinking. <laughs> so they released their Christmas beer again this year. It's a barrel aged Christmas cookie winter ale uh, featuring some toy snowflakes. Uh, the can reads, Well, jingle my bells and stuff my stockings. Uh, <laughs> I love this so much. I just. Uh, I just. A special edition of Christmas Cookie Winter Ale. Hold on to your sugar plums. This barrel-aged go- goodness is headed down the chimney. Um, I, I feel... So, uh, the little bit of the backstory on Reindeer Fucker. Um, um, we talked about it. Basically, it was... Uh, it was a, They did this, this uh, um, beer called uh, Barrel-Aged Christmas Cookie or something like that. Yep. Um, and on the can, they put a bunch of pixelated reindeer i want to like like uh 16 bit or even 8 bit yeah. reindeer in suggestive yeah. positions on the can it went out to supermarkets and like one the state 
alcohol beverage well, board freaked the fuck out. Well, a, you know, a proverbial Karen lost her shit because it sounded like there was one person. It sounded like there was one person who couldn't deal with it mm-hmm. and who got, you know, the, 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 the feds involved. And they said, no, nah, you can't do that. It was the state. Or should be the state. Fed- You're right. Sorry. Excuse me. It was the state. The Fed doesn't care anymore. Um, but uh, but they got the state involved, and so but then, then they immediately sold out out of the brewery. So I mean, I guess what I'm saying is a Festivus miracle. Yeah. But I like the fact that at this point in time, they're just trying to troll that one lady who didn't. Well, have. So they say this ale is our favorite way to lift beer lovers' spirits <laughs> and provide a good laugh over the holiday season. So it's a. The brew itself features Christmas cookie and other barrel-aged beers, an imperial barrel-aged blonde stout, rested for varying lengths of time in a variety of different bourbon barrels, including Basil Hayden and Maker's Mark. Uh, so the sweet cookie and warm vanilla flavors, uh, you can ex- along with that, you can expect toasted oak, amplified vanilla, additional layers of caramel, brown sugar, cinnamon, spice, and discernible bourbon spirit flavor. Uh... It came out November 20th, um, and with this, this year's label has some special little additions. Uh, <laughs> it has strap-ons and pocket pussies Listen, on it, making it- little snowflakes. So the snowflakes on the can are made up of one being pocket pussies, another being strap-ons, another being pocket pussies, another being strap-ons. It's going on our Instagram feed, and it's definitely going to be the cover uh, uh, picture for our episode. So if you're if you're getting if you're if you have your podcasting software, um, it should you know pop up this picture for you. If it works the way I think it does, so I mean, just take a yes. look at that, and you know, and Merry Christmas. <laughs> You degenerate fucks. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, it's what you deserve and I think need. Uh, Tyler, anything else for us today? Uh, nope, that about does it for me. Jeremy, you got one more thing for us? I do have one more thing. Um, uh, I uh, So, a, a few weeks ago, I want to say I probably nearly a month ago, if not over a month. I think it was the beginning of this month. Uh, we did a story about um, uh, McKellar Brewing and the, shall we say, issues uh, going on there. Um, um, there is a fantastic podcast that is out right now called uh, Super Cool Toxic Workplace. Woohoo! Craft um, beer! I'm, I'm in the middle of it. Um, and if you're looking to get, well, it, looking to is like the wrong word. Um, but I, I do think it, it, that anybody who is uh, interested in this industry or works in this industry, it definitely is a... Uh, it definitely is something you should put on your I should listen to this list. Um, it may not be pleasant, um, but it's something you probably should listen to and know about. Um, you know, not only the, uh, the the sexual harassment shit, which is fucking uh, awful. Terrible. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to state for the record. This is going to be a, a controversial position. Um, a person's workplace shouldn't be fucking hellish. Okay. Just gonna say that you shouldn't be harassed and uh, um, and made to feel like an inferior like, inferior person at work. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I know that makes me a, a filthy whatever, uh, but that's my official position. But I mean, not only were they not only the sexual harassment, but it but as they're telling the story, what you get is a thoroughly um, dysfunctional organization that is propped up by nothing else than like oh we're cool. 
And you kind of get that from their beer, too. We're the hip brand, man. And so um, it's worth, I, I think, I, I think as this industry continues to, it continues to evolve, it's worth looking at this going, hey, here's the, like, the, the worst aspects of how, you know, this independent spirit can manifest. Mm-hmm. And it can manifest by just a couple of dude bros doing whatever. If you don't create the right culture, you're... Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you if you've got a couple of you know fucking walking hard ons or one walking hard on, you know, running the joint, um, you know what can happen. And it's not just the the sexual harassment. Um, it's across the board. It's um, people, you know, uh, moving their whole lives to Denmark, only to find out that they were lied to about what the job paid or what the benefits were or what oh. or what it entailed. I mean, across the board, you're realizing this is a dysfunctional organization. I think it's absolutely worth listening to. Um, again, it's called a, a super cool toxic workplace. Um, I would love to. I mean, again, we 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 hit upon we we touched upon what was going on in McKellar and our and our. Um, um, uh, discussion on it, and really, but again, we have real jobs and to, can't to, really to do, dive into well, the true depths. And to do justice to this, we'd almost just have to play this podcast. There's nothing we can really add to it except for dick jokes, and it's and <laughs> poor form. Uh, this is not this is not a discussion that needs dick jokes. There are very few there are very few things in this world that I don't don't think that can be improved with dick jokes. But this the, is one of them. This is one of the few that I think hey, dick jokes probably not going to be a thing that. So check out that pod. Uh, it'll be more educational than ours. Uh, <laughs> a little bit more somber, a lot, a lot less fun, but definitely worth listening to. Um, but uh, um, and, and, and in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, um, we have our Twitter account where we post all the stories that we were work- that we uh, got our stuff from. Because again. Uh, we don't do the reporting. We just report on what's being reported. Um, it's all we beer. read and regurgitate, basically, and we add dick jokes. <laughs> let's not <laughs> let's not let's not discount the dick jokes. Um, it's all beer one on Twitter. Uh, you can get a hold of us at it's all beer on Facebook and on Instagram, where I'll post uh, snowflakes containing sex toys and whatever else. You know, I mean, I, 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 it's very like infrequent, but um, uh, I post funny pictures there every once in a while. Um, email. You can get a hold of, that, of, of us there. It's all beer at gmail.com. And if you feel like it, uh, leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Facebook, or, you know, just like scrawl something on a wall somewhere. I'm sure it's, you know, just like write, it's all beer is awesome. And, um, McKellar, Jeremy will find it in the bathroom. McKellar sucks, yeah. And for a good time, call so and so. And I will call that number and say, hey, did you really like the podcast, or do I have to do something unspeakable? Uh, Jeremy's like, I'm fine with either. I, like, listen, if you want to relieve a review, uh, I'm Tyler will do any number of things I can convince him to. Um, <laughs> I cost a little more. <laughs> and um, on that note, uh, I think it'll be quite enough for us. Uh, I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm going to drink a beer. Have fun. The biggest brewery in Michigan is dead. The king is dead. All hail the dragon. Dragon D's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we can't have nice things, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>